Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning and the fact that we can open up your Bible. Um, we have the ability to do that every day without any repercussions. And it's easy to take it for granted. It's so easy to take it for granted that I think there's days that we just don't do it. But in many places in the world where they aren't allowed to do that, man, what a treasure it becomes to hear your words. And so I pray this morning that you would help us in our heart to treasure the things that you want to teach us. That we would allow you to convict us and allow you to change us um, as a result of hearing you and seeing what you have to say. So be with us this morning. We do love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, last chapter of the book of Song of Solomon. We're going to hit this up and be done. Be done. This has been, I love this book. Oh my goodness, I love this book. It's tough to get through a little bit at times, and um, it takes a little bit of work to dive into some of the major details of it, but I love this book. I love it a lot. It's definitely changed the way that I view myself. My relationship with God, it changes the way that even God sees me. It's very important. All right, so we're going to be talking about chapter 8. Their love is unquenchable. So there's three basic applications. Historically, same thing. Their love is unquenchable. Doctrinally, the churches and Israel's stewardships. We're going to be talking about that. And then devotionally, our level of intimacy with Christ will determine our actions and attitudes. And that is so true. And I find it so ironic, and I did not plan it this way, that we are talking about intimacy and having that whole thing that we're going through for Wednesday night to prepare for camp, and then intimacy is here devotionally. I did not plan that. I just realized in this moment that I used that word on our Wednesday night stuff. So I think that's totally of God. I love it. All right, so first of all, the first point here, the bride speaks to the bridegroom and about him, verses 1 through 5. So just capping it off a little bit, we've got how she was wayward. You, could, you can make a case for the fact that she was wayward. She was sleeping in chapter 5. And then she came back to the Lord and she started doing what Solomon wanted her to do. That, that, that fellowship is restored. And now they are unified together. Now they're working together. And we talked about that in chapter 7. And now chapter 8 is kind of carrying on to that. But there's something a little bit different. Now we see how she responds and how her life looks because she's in fellowship with the Lord. Because this is how it works, I think, in our lives. We want to, or at least we know we need to do things, whether it be evangelizing somebody or being involved in discipleship with somebody or inviting people to church or, um, you know, ministering to someone who's hurting. Like, we know that we need to do those things. I mean, I think our conscience is screaming at us, especially if, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us saying, you need to do this. So that's a given. But the thing about it is, I think a lot of times we don't do that because our relationship with God is not where it should be. Because when your relationship with God is where it should be and you're walking with him, then you feel prepared to go and do those things. Am I right? So that's how it's supposed to work. And that's why you see in chapter 6 and chapter 7, it's all about her and him and how he views her, how she views him, because their relationship is now restored. And now chapter 8 is the people. And looking at the people around. So this is going to be interesting. So the bride speaks to the bridegroom and about him. Verses 1 through 5. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head. 
and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor wake my love until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up, up, up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Now, verse 5, there's a typo there. It should actually be verses 1 through 4. Verse 5 goes to point number 2, so my bad about that. So verses 1 through 4, you have the bride speaks to the bridegroom and about him. So first of all, in verse 1 and 2, she talks about how that she wishes that they were basically siblings. That's what she says. That I would lead thee, bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to, to drink spiced wine of the juice of, the, of my pomegranate. So here, there's this family relationship. And so what's weird about this is that you're like, what? Like, I mean, she's the bride. She's speaking to the bridegroom, and she wishes that they were siblings? Okay. All right, this is very easy to understand. When it comes to God, God is not only our spouse spiritually because we're married unto him, but he's also like family. He's like family. I mean, the fact that, you know, you have Jesus where he says in Hebrews uh, 2.11 that he says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers, brethren. So, yeah, we're married unto him, but we're brethren at the same time. And so this is a spiritual concept that you see in the scriptures all the time. But there should be a level of intimacy and closeness with Jesus Christ. It's like family. It's like family. I mean, family intimacy is critical. This is why, like, uh, our whole society structure and, and relationships and divorce and, and just all that stuff, there, it does not surprise me whatsoever that the devil is attacking those concepts within our culture. Because if you can break down a family, the children that are in that family then see what? What do they see above them? What do they see? A child that sees a broken home scenario unfolding before them with their mother and their father, what do they see? Come on, come on. A pattern, a pattern but what pattern? What are they seeing? Maybe some of you have gone through that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Love is not mm-hmm. Okay, so love isn't something that lasts forever. How much would that damage a child? I mean, think about that for a second. What else would you see? Mm-hmm. There's no love at all. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of those kids might grow up thinking, well, then I guess relationships are only to benefit me. And so I'm just going to use people the way that my parents used each other. And I know at some point it's going to come to an end. So I'm not going to commit to anybody. Imagine how that affects things spiritually. God loves you. And... Right. Okay, this has huge implications because this is why God and the way he structured everything, he structured the family unit, is it is supposed to be permanent and eternal. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and they shall, and the two shall be one flesh. And then he says in Matthew that wherefore what God hath brought together, brought let no man put asunder. You should not be breaking that apart. That's the pattern. Imagine if Adam and Eve got in a divorce. I mean, we wouldn't be here today, right? I mean, so there's there's so many implications to this. So just think about that. So if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and let's say you struggle with some of these things, you struggle with, with true intimacy with people, you struggle with, um, you know, not seeing a pattern of faithfulness between a husband and wife in your life, that you see them using each other, you see how... You know, well, this person, I'm only going to do something that benefits me. 
And so then, okay, yeah, I'll do something that benefits them as long as they benefit me. So this changes everything spiritually for people. So this is very important for you guys to get because all of you come from different backgrounds, different parental issues and things because everybody's got issues. But the problem is, is get your nose in the Bible, read what God has to say about love, about faithfulness, about how he intended to be and believe that and do that because that's what you're supposed to do. Because if you don't have a close family relationship with Jesus Christ where you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He doesn't love you because of anything that you do for him. He loves you just because even if you fail every day for the rest of your life, Jesus Christ will still be there loving you consistently with all of his might, with all of his strength. If you don't have that concept in your life, you will not walk with God. You will not reach anyone for the Lord. And you won't have any confidence when you do talk to somebody about God. So you've got to have that. So for her to speak this way may be weird from a spousal perspective, but it's not weird from a spiritual perspective at all. Because even though, like, my wife is my wife, she still should be my best friend. She should be the person that I speak to about everything. There are things that I talk to her about that I don't speak to my parents about. That has to change. When you get married, if that doesn't change, you're going to have marital problems. Because now it's you two. That's why God said, leave your father and mother, join unto your wife, and the two shall be one flesh. You're going to have problems if you can't leave your father and mother. So the way that you might have sat down and had close conversations with your mom, which was me, that was me. I sat down and I talked to my mom about everything. I mean, everything. My dad, it was later because I had some issues with him because he was raised in a household where they didn't even tell each other they loved each other. And so sitting down and having those types of conversations was very, very important. But once I got married, my wife is now that person. And so think about this, turn it spiritually. Okay, in the world, we are intimate with the world before we get saved. Well, after salvation, you can no longer be intimate with the world and you have to be close to Christ. And he has to be your best friend. He has to be. If he's not, then you're not going to be able to do much of anything for the Lord, period. And you're definitely not going to be able to walk faithfully. So true intimacy with Christ brings his hand of comfort, security, strength, and guidance. And that is so true because I mess up all the time, all the time. And knowing that he loves me like that keeps me going. Otherwise, I would quit. I think a lot of us quit in our spiritual walk because we're like, well, I've messed up so far. There's no way for me to recover from this or whatever. And I think that is just a big fat lie straight from the devil. Totally is. Because with Christ, he loves you unconditionally. He loves you sacrificially. Verse 3, this is you. His left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me. And that, I mean, this is all that it is. Left hand under the head, right hand embracing. Like when I hold my kids and I hold them tight, like I can hold my kids like this. But there's something interesting. I feel that they're closer when I hold them like this, when I'm holding their head. And there are times where my children, they might fight because they don't, but like Lucy, my cuddle bug, when I hold her and I put her head on my shoulder and I hold her and then she's close, she's yielding to my embrace. That's what she's doing. She's not fighting. She's not struggling. She's just yielding as I'm holding her. That's what we're talking about spiritually. Some of us, God's trying to hold us and we're like, ah! and we're like, fine, forget it. I'm going to let you go. But the thing is, God will never let you go, but you're causing him a great deal of pain because he's trying to hold you and you are flailing like a maniac. 
it's much easier just to yield. And then when you do, there's this intimacy with God where you can finally just rest. You've been fighting for so long. Just rest. Just rest in his embrace and let him, let him hold you. That's what he desires. And that is true intimacy. We should always be doing the Lord's will and deeply caring for his welfare. Now, this is something that's repeated back in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and chapter 3. In fact, it's almost worded exactly the same way. This will be verse 4. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. So we are always caring about the things that he cares about. So you cannot have true intimacy with God until you yield to his authority. It's just not going to work out. And his authority is not something that is for like to destroy you or to somehow disappoint you there's great safety in it because he loves you and he cares about you in his arms is the best place to be best place to be all right verses five through seven the bridegroom speaks back to the bride so he says this who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved i raised thee up under the apple tree there thy mother brought thee forth there she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. All right, contempt. So that word there, contempt, it just means um, like rejected or despised is what that means. It's not condemned as if there's like a condemnation. Contemned just means rejected. And so here he's speaking back to the bridegroom. And what I love about this is he says, who is this that cometh up out of the wilderness? So as we follow Jesus Christ's lead, we will come up out of the wilderness. The wilderness is a picture of sin, is a picture of the lost life. Is a picture of the Christian who was redeemed out of Egypt, but now are wandering in unbelief in the wilderness. So at some point, you've got to come out of the wilderness. If you don't come out of the wilderness, you're going to die in the wilderness. That's what's going to happen. That's what happened to the Israelites. All of them were redeemed, but all of them died except for two. Who are the two? What's that? Give it a shot. Aaron. No. Aaron died. So did Moses. Joshua. Hosea. And who's the other guy? Come on. Come on. Joshua. And they're part of the, the 12 spies that went in. Two came back. Ten were bad and two were good. All right. Who were the two? So Joshua and... Bartholomew, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Yes. All right. That's right. Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb came back. But here's the deal. They did not die in the wilderness because they believed God against everybody. Now, let's say you have a group of 12 people, and you go out and you spy this land, and you come back and kind of like, Oh, no, 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 no. It'd be so easy to just go with the other 10 and just fall in line and just give a similar report. Yeah, we know that God said this, and I do believe God, but I tell you what, those giants are pretty big. <laughs> like, they're pretty big. I mean, did you see the shoe size on that one, dude? Pretty big. 
Or you can take a stand and say, you know what? Everyone else is saying that this is not like this is not possible, but do they forget who God is? I mean, I mean, I can just imagine the conversation between Joshua and Caleb. I mean, yeah, the giants are big, right? And we're scared, right? Totally. <laughs> but do you remember when God came down upon Mount Sinai? Do you remember the power and the strength? And God wasn't even close to us. Like he wasn't even close and everything was just shaking. And and when the lightning hit and the mountain was smoking because God was there, we could feel like the insides of us just shaking and trembling and everyone was terrified. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's our God. These giants can't do that. God could show up like that and shake these guys just like he did with us. I mean, who? just imagine the conversation these guys had. And they're like, you're right. You're totally right. So, yeah, they're going to give that report, but we've got to be faithful. Because God said we could do it. So if God said we could do it, then we can do it. Because we fear him more than the giants. Yeah. So then they did it. And they took a stand. And God blessed them. And they didn't die in the wilderness. In fact, Joshua became the leader of everyone. And Caleb ended up, well, he was a guy where, he was like, what, 80, 90 years old? And there was this mountain in Hebron. Do a study on Hebron. It's amazing. Hebron, there was a giant there. And you know what Caleb said, 80, 90 years old? He's like, that mountain? That's mine. I'm going to go take it. And he went and he took it. No problem. He just did it because he believed God. So that's big. That's big. You guys got to understand that. that At some point in your life, you've got to come out of the wilderness. But look what it says in verse 5. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? That's how you do it. You cannot come up out of the wilderness on your own. You have to come up out of the wilderness leaning upon your beloved. Leaning upon Jesus Christ. He has got to be the strength that you have to get through the wilderness because you do not have it on your own. You don't. And that means you have to believe him above everybody else. And then next, our next point here, verses 6 and 7, our love for Christ is inward, outward, exclusive, permanent, passionate, and cannot be quenched. Now this is really cool. Look at what it says. Set me, so this is like Jesus talking to you, set me as a seal upon thine heart and as a seal upon thine arm. Now what does a seal do? And I'm not talking about that. Just in case you were thinking that, I know a few of you were. That's not the seal that we're talking about here. Okay? Yes. I'm sorry, that was my seal clap. Yes. Yeah, keeps it preserved. It also marks who it belongs to. Right? So, I have a little book seal in my office where I can take this little seal thing and I put a piece of paper in between and I stamp it and it says property of Stephen Winnegah and it has SBW for my initials. And so inside of my book, it has an impression made on the pages of my books that says this book belongs to me. It's a seal. So it marks who it belongs to and it can preserve it and keep it enclosed. Because if something is not sealed, it can go bad. So God is telling you, set me as a seal upon your God bless you. No, not a seal on God bless you. Set a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. Okay, so your heart inward, inside. If God does not have a seal, if he does not, if this does not belong to him, you are not going to make good decisions. You're not going to make good decisions. You're not going to be able to walk with him. And in order to have a seal on the inside of your heart, you've got to have one on the outside of your arm too. Because if God doesn't have your heart, he's not going to have your life. Because this is something that everybody else sees. Everyone else sees what's on your arm. 
and they'll see what's on your arm based on what's in your heart. So I love how he says that here. Set me as a seal upon thine heart and a seal upon thine arm. And then look how he describes love. For love is as strong as death. You know, I've been thinking about this. I'm not prepared for the day of my death. But you know what does prepare me when I think about it? God loves me, and he's never going to give up on me. And I don't know what's going to unfold as I close my eyes or that day comes and I just go into that darkness that everyone else talks about that has died. But I know that on the other side, he's going to be there because he loves me. It's as strong as death. And then jealousy is as cruel as the grave. When you love God, then if there's anything that starts to steal your affection away from God, you get mad about it. Do you ever get mad at your sin? You should. If you haven't, start. You should get mad at your sin. Your sin drives you away from God, and you should be mad about it. You should be mad about people that are trying to drive you away from being uh, faithful to God and, and not coming to church and not doing things you know you should be doing. You should be mad at them because they're trying to steal you away from God. This is the jealousy that God feels. Imagine God. He loves you. He died for you. You are now his, and then he sees something or someone stealing your heart away from him how does he feel like if i saw a dude come into the picture and try to steal my wife away from me i'd be ticked i would be ticked that is my wife that is my love no it's not going to happen i still laugh at that one kid paul in ireland who was hitting on my wife while we were over there and i just kind of let it go a little bit because he was kind of joking or whatever and then i found my moment i found my moment and i said yeah that's why i married her and he was like, dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he was like, he was going over backwards. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. And so then I use it as a witnessing opportunity. And ever since then, we've had a great friendship. <laughs> no, no, no. But two or three years later, then I have some of the most fruitful conversations with him. You know, so there's just things there that just because you're jealous over something doesn't mean you have to destroy other people. Based on your attitude, it can develop a sense of respect for you about your relationship with God, and then you can use that to then witness to people. It's really quite interesting. All right, so there's that. And then the last verse, I love this one. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. You could give everything that you've got, but you will never be able to get love. Love is something that is freely given and freely received. You cannot purchase it. You cannot trade anything for it. It is something that is given and must be received freely. That is the concept of love consistent with the Bible. All right, and then lastly, verses 8 through 10. Now, these are weird verses, and I want to explain them. I don't have a whole lot of time to explain them, but I want to explain them as much as I can. All right, we have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breast like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. What? Okay. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. A woman that does not have breasts has not hit puberty yet, right? Just speaking openly, frankly, okay? Got it? All right. Now, a woman that is in that state cannot reproduce, right? Because they've not gone through puberty yet. Okay. So now, once you start working some of those things and you see the spiritual side of this, you're like, oh, okay. So I have to be mature. I have to go through spiritual puberty. I have to be mature in order to reproduce. Yes. That's exactly what it's talking about here. 
spiritually speaking, in order to reproduce, you have to be mature. Now, here it says, we have a little sister and she hath no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? So when a person is spoken for, that she's going to get married, then she has to be able to reproduce. Otherwise, she's not going to be spoken for. Okay? Now, look what it says in verse 9. If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. All right. So basically, this little sister can be one of two things. She's either a wall or a door. Now, what do walls do? They block things, they keep things out, they keep things in, they keep it protected. Also upon walls, you build towers. And watch towers, keep a lookout for anything that might be coming their way to assault the wall and the city that is behind it. Got it? What do doors do? They let things in and let things out. Very, very simple. We've got one right there. Now, two people in the world, you're either a wall or you're a door. Now you have to determine who you are. You either are a wall where you keep things inside protected and you don't let the outside world affect it. Or you're a door and you just let it open. Come on in. And I'm going to let this stuff out and I'm going to let it, allow it to get polluted and it's going to come back in. It's going to pollute everything else. Okay. Spiritually speaking, it's a great concept there. Now look what it says. It says, if she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So if you have a wall, then you can build something that's very, very valuable on top of it. And then if she's a door, you're going to enclose her with boards of cedar. Now, what does that mean? Think about it. If you have a door, but you enclose it with boards of cedar, you stop it, you make it a wall. Because look at the next verse. I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. So God favors those people that are walls. They are walls. Your heart is the most valuable thing that you have. This is why God says in Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 26, 23, I think it is. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. You have got to learn how to be a wall, to keep junk out and to keep what's in protected because it belongs to God. He desires to build upon you a palace of silver, something that is very, very valuable that the world wants to come in and corrupt and destroy. So you've got to learn how to do that. That means that you are mature, a mature, mature man or woman right there is if you are a wall, because that is what she is, that is what we are supposed to be. So how does all this break down? Okay, when you are Christ, you are responsible to disciple others into maturity. And what I mean when you are Christ, that means you are mature. You have the ability to reproduce and you're doing it. You have the ability to do it and you're doing it and you have a responsibility to disciple other people into maturity. And you are the pattern that other people need to follow. Because she says, I am a wall, my breasts are like towers. So you have this little sister who's immature. She's not gone through puberty yet. She's still not able to reproduce, but she is mature. She's able to reproduce. She's able to do what God told her to do. So now she's protecting her. All right, so let's make sure if she's a door, let's enclose her with boards of cedar. Then we can build upon her a palace of silver and then she'll be ready to go. That's what he's talking about here. Kind of cool, isn't it? I like that a lot. And I was talking to Tony, ironically, about this. He said, that has been my verse for my daughter for years. Because I want God to build upon her a palace of silver. I want her to be a wall. I don't want her to be a door. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. All right, and then verses 11 through 13. 
And might as well just read 14 and then I'll go through this quickly. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. All right, very simply, the bride speaks of the work of her stewardship. The Lord expects his stewards to be faithful. See here in verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. By the way, Baal means Lord. Haman means abundance or multiply or, or just many. So the Lord of abundance. So Solomon had a vineyard at the Lord of abundance. So he expects things to be abundant. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone for the fruit there was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. That's how it's supposed to work. When God entrusts something to you, you go and then you multiply it. If you are not willing to multiply it, well, then you are going to be found short of what God has called you to do. He expects his stewards to be faithful. And then look what she says in verse 12. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. See, God has given you guys a vineyard. He has given each of you a vineyard. It's not anybody else's. It's yours. You are the only one that can go in and do the work. It's your vineyard. I don't know what it is. I know mine. I know mine and I know the vineyard of my family. That's what I know because that's who I'm responsible for. You have a vineyard that you are supposed to go out and take ownership of and to work it and to multiply it. If you do not, then God will say, what'd you do? I gave you this. I gave you these talents, these abilities. I gave you these friendships, these people. I gave you these opportunities. And what did you do with it? What did you do with it? Because God wants you to multiply. He wants you to be abundant with it. But oftentimes we can look very, very much inward and be very, very selfish and we don't do what he wants us to do. So that's what that's teaching there too in verse 12. And then verse 13, thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. So while we're working in our vineyard, you have got to stay attentive to God's voice. If you're working in the vineyard and you don't hear his voice, you're going to quit. You're going to quit, guaranteed. That's what's happened in my life. And it's going to happen to you too. And then verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Jesus always wants us to have a sense of urgency and expectation, always abounding in the work of the Lord until we are with him face to face. Because the picture is that she's working in the vineyard. She wants to hear his voice. And then he's saying, Make haste, my beloved. He wants her to be with him. That's his heart's desire. He knows work needs to be done, but he wants to be with her. It's like when you're at work sometimes or at school and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get out. It's kind of like that, but in a good way. <laughs> All right. So that is Song of Solomon chapter 8. So we are officially done with Song of Solomon. I hope it's been a huge blessing to you. I'm never going to forget it. There's stuff in here that I'm going to be chewing on for years, years and years and years. All right. Any questions? All right. Be faithful to the vineyard God's given you. Seriously. It's the best thing you can do. If you don't know what your vineyard is, figure it out. Figure it out. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gems that it teaches us. And I pray, God, we would be faithful. God, you are the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And I pray that I would always be devoted to you. And even when my heart is weak and my flesh is failing, I pray, God, that I would always stay fixed upon you. You have all the answers. You have the strength that I need to get through stuff that I just can't get through. And I need you in my life. I could do nothing without you. So I'm thankful for this book. And I pray, God, that I would um, 
not waste what you've given me in this book, but I'll just be more faithful and more fruitful. Pray for the, everything else today, for the service, uh, for all the graduates, for both high school and JBI and those that are graduating from college. And we're going to be sending off um, um, Eddie and Matt today to the Philippines and just a lot of stuff happening today. So I pray that everything would be done for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Side, baptism side. Side, baptism side. Thanks, Andy. <laughs>